Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. Good Monday evening to you. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to the most dangerous show in radio. Tell me everything. The ringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble here on Progress. What a day. My God. You know what they said to me? They said, hey, go ahead, move the show to Progress. They said, do it in the evenings, they said. That way there's no breaking news. You'll have all day to keep track of stuff. Nothing ever happens. Why, after 8 p.m. on a Monday night... Cut to today. Brothers and sisters, it is so good to have you with us on a very historic evening. We are just getting started in the news out of Georgia. But for the next three hours, we're going to be coming at you with a lot of music, a lot of facts, a lot of outrage, a lot of laughs and some terrific guests as well. We're going to be talking about uh, what's the new news with Clarence Thomas. ProPublica did an amazing expose on how Clarence Thomas's corruption goes so much deeper than any of us ever could have known. And we have the author of that piece joining us just in a little bit. But right now, even as we speak, the news has come down from Fulton County, Georgia. The grand jury at the Fulton County Courthouse has returned 10 indictments. Against Donald Trump, Uh, MSNBC was reported that the grand jury was already voting and under Georgia law, they can't keep an indictment sealed after a grand jury returns it. Meaning if the indictment happens after eight o'clock on a Monday night, we get it after eight o'clock on a Monday night. There are 10 indictments, not the dozen or more that we've been told to expect, but 10, which maybe means someone cut a plea deal and there are fewer indictments than they thought originally. 10 different charges. Now, keep in mind, multiple people can be charged as co-conspirators under the same indictment. We are just getting this news in right now. They've only just released the front cover of the indictment. But guys, it is it is accountability time. It is justice time. It is here. 
10 indictments. And as we get the information live, we will be bringing you what they are and breaking it down with you and having lots of experts all week. And I'm going to have to write a Dr. Seuss poem with a flowchart to explain all these different crimes this man has been caught in. Because it's getting ridiculous. I, I I was told this wouldn't be a breaking news show, but I guess I'm okay with it if this is the news we're breaking. So for the next couple of hours, we're going to want to hear from you guys. Our number is 866-997-4748. That is 866-997-GRIT. I am not alone. Uh, I come to you now live from Los Angeles. We're broadcasting for the whole month out of L.A., and it's really a blast. Thank you to everyone in L.A. and New York and Brooklyn and South Carolina that's made it happen. Our executive producer, Chris Hauselt, runs this thing from South Carolina. He took surfing lessons this weekend. Uh, we're also produced by the great Thea Harper out of Brooklyn. And um, 10 indictments returned by the grand jury. 10, 10, 10 indictments against Donald Trump. It, uh, and it's almost kind of sad. This is probably the last of the indictments we're going to see this year. And I just want to say how much it's meant to me that all of Donald Trump's crimes have begun to very slowly face accountability while we're with you. It's really nice to share douchebags being called to account with people you love. So thank you for being a part of it. Ten indictments. My God, I've lost count of how many charges this criminal is facing. Let's get to it. Search and rescue teams on Maui have now covered only about 3% of the area that was destroyed in last week's wildfire. There are dangerous conditions, slowing efforts, and it's slowing the recovery of people who've been lost. The death toll is very close to 100 now, and the authorities in Maui have warned the effort to identify the dead in the rubble of a town that has completely been burned down is very much in its early stages. Uh, Governor Josh Green said this will certainly be the worst natural disaster that Hawaii has ever faced. Here is uh, Hawaii Governor Josh Green on the cause of the Maui wildfire. This is the first time we've ever experienced a wildfire in the context of these dry conditions, global warming, and with a hurricane that's just passing us. There's no question this catastrophe is going to change the way everyone looks at fire across the globe. They're saying it's like a compound climate catastrophe because it's sort of like a combination platter of disaster. There's there's the strong winds from the outer range of a passing hurricane. And those strong winds were interacting with the extreme drought that's been in place for over a month. And we know that climate change is causing the drought. We know that climate change has made our oceans a little more warmer, which means a lot more hurricanes. We've known this for over 10 years. It's a compound catastrophe. And officials on the island have repeatedly warned the death toll will rise. Here is FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell on the challenges the immediate fire zone presents to the search and rescue teams. I was able to talk to the to the USAR teams, the, the urban search and rescue teams today and see the dogs and they have gridded out the area. They use the dogs and they have the teams that go in there, but it's hot. The ground still has hot spots. The dogs can only work so long before they need a break. And so the 3% covers 3% of the grids that they have mapped out, and now they will just methodically continue to go through that. But I think one of the challenging things is many of the areas that they're in searching, um, there's structures that are partially standing. And so the engineers are embedded with them to evaluate the stability of that structure. Now, we're going to be booking some people from the island. Uh, I've been in contact with some activist friends to, to get some folks to call in about what the situation's like on the ground, because there's a lot of questions here. And, and a lot of it is, of course, about the climate. And a lot of it is about the failure of society and the failure of government. I mean, why was there so little warning for the residents? Why were there so few tools to fight 
this blaze. You know, why didn't the famous Maui sirens go off? Uh, New York Times has an article called uh, As Inferno Grew, Lahaina's Water System Collapsed. The hydrants just sputtered and became practically useless. There was no water in the hydrants, according to the firefighters who were on duty in Lahaina. In so many ways, this incredible catastrophic loss of life, this is the most Americans to have died in a wildfire in over a hundred years. Here's Maui County Police Chief John Pelletier on the grim, grisly work of identifying victims in the fire zone. When we pick up the remains and they fall apart, and some of you, that's what you're stepping on. I don't know how much more you want me to describe it. That's what you're stepping on. So Joe Biden returned to D.C. on Monday after relaxing on the sand at Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, all weekend, even though the wildfire death toll kept going higher and higher. This was the deadliest wildfire in more than a century. And the U.S. president allowed himself to be photographed many, many times hanging out on the beach all weekend amidst the worst wildfire in the U.S. in over a century because... They let the president be seen sitting on a beach all weekend while the death toll went up. Let's talk about that after one more clip over on CBS. This is Congresswoman uh, Jill Takuda, Democrat from Hawaii, because Hawaii tends to elect Democrats. That will be relevant as a hypocrisy we're going to talk about in a minute. But here is Representative Takuda on the looming cost of recovery and reconstruction in Hawaii and how that's going to serve as a template for future events because we're going deeper into a climate crisis, events like these will continue. We were never ha expecting this disaster and tragedy. No one ever does. Um, but you heard it from my constituents um, that have been on air. This is a national crisis. This is a national problem. I cannot tell you how many individuals we've talked to, we've met. They're not from Hawaii, but they have been severely impacted. We know at the end of the day, loss of life will take place, not for just for Hawaii residents, but for individuals from across the country that were in this area. This is a national disaster we are facing. And one thing we have to remember, too, was this is rural America. Rural America is getting hit by these types of climate change chaoses every single day's disaster. Rural America, which is what Hawaii is, faces a crisis of also being able to get those first responders and support as fast as they need to, to be able to respond in these situations. So we have to make sure FEMA has the tools and the resources to be able to execute support back home at Hawaii. But quite frankly, this is going to be happening across the country and they need the money to be able to respond to wherever disaster strikes. <sighs> God help these people in Hawaii. It's just one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I'm really glad that she referred to the people of Lahaina as rural America, because that's what they are. So, all right. I, I don't like um, criticizing the president too much uh, on this show or on this channel, but um, I kind of have to sometimes. It's, it's part of the deal, man. <laughs> See, it's nice to be rooting for the side that's not about blind obedience, where you can criticize the head of the movement because you want them to do better. Because Joe Biden told reporters yesterday that he was looking at taking a trip to Lahaina, a town that was destroyed by this fire. It's a safely democratic state. But when they asked about him five hours later, when he came back from being on the beach... All what we call the goddamn day, Joe Biden said, no comment, which set off an umbrage gasm amongst thousands of right wing trolls and white nationalists who don't care about Hawaii, 
who don't care about the suffering of people in a blue state, who don't care about climate change or the future disasters that will be causing. The right wing cares about one thing, and it's using hate to get power. And oh, my God, Joe Biden gave them a multi-tiered wedding cake of hate. Republicans saying that a Democratic president is insufficiently attentive to the suffering of Americans. Look, I don't need Joe Biden to be perfect. Okay, but here's my question. Um, Does does he still want the job? Because, like, I've, I've been coming on this radio show, going on other radio shows. I've been going on TV shows, arguing against the ageism because I'm disgusted by the ageism. I fully think he can do the job uh, as an 80-year-old man, as an 82-year-old man running for re-election. I'm, I'm willing to go along with it. I, I, I understand as long as he's sound and I have no reason to believe he's not, right? He's not. Listen to Joe Biden do an interview. He's really sharp. He's old. He speaks slowly. But does he... Does he still want the job? Because there's good people who broadcast really terrific shows on this channel, Sirius XM Progress. When they asked us to bring our show over to this channel, I thought, oh, my God, this is so many great, great broadcasters on Progress. And, and you know what it's like if you listen on this channel. The, the hosts on this channel defend the president. Most of us call him out when it's warranted. But I probably speak for more than a couple of my fellow Progress hosts here when I say I support his reelection despite any misgivings. You know what? Put somebody up there who's better on the issues and has a better path to 270 electoral votes. And yes, I will support that person right away. I am more loyal to ideology, to values, to policy than I am to any person. That's something else we have different from the modern Republican Party. But I don't see the Democrats putting up anybody else who can get 270 electoral votes better than Biden. So I'm going to keep on supporting Biden. Are there potentially third party candidates whose views align more with my progressive views? Absolutely. (laughs) Bobby Kennedy Jr. is not one of them. But see, I'm not voting third party. I learned the hard way that voting third party is a very gradual process to incremental progress. And most often it only serves to split the vote. Ross Perot got Bill Clinton elected. Ralph Nader certainly helped George W. Bush get elected in the state of Florida. I don't want to go third party anymore because it's mostly guys who don't have a uterus who think their liberal purity test matters more than throwing the election to fascists. So here's my question again. Does Joe Biden want this job still? Is there anybody in the White House who understands optics right now? Is there anyone in the White House who understands this particular president is engaged in a reelection campaign right now? Like like fundraising and getting support and people in his own party are trying to get him to drop out so someone younger can run. Y'all know he's he's in this race, right? Because people in the White House, people on the campaign, let this man go and be photographed at a beach sunbathing for like five hours on a Sunday while they were finding bodies from the worst wildfire to hit the United States in over 100 years. Why does this White House gift wrap a Christmas present for right-wing trolls and hand it to them in August? Right-wing trolls who don't care about the conditions that led to this blaze. Trolls who reject the science on why this blaze happened and why more like it will be happening. Trolls who hate the federal government and right now are clutching very public pearls of faux outrage over this White House not doing anything for these poor people. People who don't give a damn about the folks in Hawaii are going to play human rights hero for days over this, and the death toll is going to rise. They are still sifting through the bodies. There will be more. Possibly hundreds more. Hundreds more. 
Residents of Maui, by the way, told the New York Times the federal response so far, they haven't seen it. And they've gotten more help from private volunteers and fundraisers. So I will bet you money right now on this show that Joe Biden takes a trip back to Hawaii before I get to. Now, in the meantime, do you want the, 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 the unfortunate news, the really bad news or the horrific news for Trump? Because the unfortunate news, let's let's do the lightest one first. Um, New York State judge today refused to step aside after Trump demanded his recusal in the case centered around Trump's hush money payments to adult film stars Stormy Daniels before the 2016 election. Uh, New York State Supreme Court Justice Juan Merchan wrote, why would Trump object to a judge named Juan Merchan? Trump has failed to demonstrate that there exists concrete or even realistic reasons for recusal to be appropriate. The speculative and hypothetical scenarios offered by the defendant fall well short of the legal standard. There are no hypothetical scenarios. Donald Trump's trying to slow this down, and he failed in an attempt to delay. That's that's unfortunate news. You want to know the really bad news? Donald Trump's got a long history of trying to influence witnesses, and it might put him in jail. Like, it really could find him remanded into custody. Now, um, we look at the past when Donald Trump was flirting with intimidating witnesses prominently. Most of the time he did that, he was president, right? When he was in the White House, think about it. Robert Mueller found 10 instances of Donald Trump obstructing justice during the Russia investigation. And Trump had all kinds of tweets to Michael Cohen, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort. In 2019 and 2020, Donald Trump publicly criticized the witnesses who were testifying in the impeachment over his attempts to force Ukraine into a dopey fake investigation of Biden. And then he fired several government officials who cooperated. He likes to fuck with witnesses, we're saying here. In 2022, when when Cassidy Hutchison, former White House aide, alleged that multiple Trump allies tried to influence her decision to cooperate, she said under oath, it was almost like I felt I had Trump looking over my shoulder. And because the Justice Department policy is to prevent any sitting presidents from ever being prosecuted because our founders wanted us to have a king. We had a whole war with England to get away from having kings, but we really wanted one. But that's the reason Donald Trump never faced any criminal consequences from attacking the witnesses in the past because he was president then. He's not president now. And you want to go to jail? Go on your shitty social media site and threaten witnesses. He's trying to undermine our entire judicial system. You guys know that. He's attacking the prosecutors. He's attacking the judges. He's attacking the witnesses. And that might help fundraise a little bit. But A, don't expect a big bump at fundraising after indictment number four. And really, all it takes is one judge who finds this unamusing to take him off the campaign. You don't think someone would do it? Well, the judge who was overseeing Trump's January 6th case in D.C. warned him on Friday, warned him. Judge Tanya Chutkin warned him not to make statements could intimidate witnesses. The more a party makes inflammatory statements about this case, which could taint the jury pool, the greater urgency will be that we proceed to trial quickly. That's the key word right there. She gave Trump the warning because he's smearing people and he's lying people and he's trying to scare witnesses. He's trying to corrupt the jury pool. And so Trump because he has no impulse control, did not listen, and instead unleashed this insane personal attack against the judge, calling her highly partisan, calling her very biased and unfair, right after she told him to stop making inflammatory statements. She obviously wants me behind bars, he said. Uh, He also unleashed another complaint about her sentencing of a January 6th rioter, saying it proves that there's bias against him because someone who mobbed the Capitol and broke the law is going to jail for it. So, Now she has to follow through on it. She warned him. 
But see, here's the cool thing. She didn't warn him about hauling him in or locking him up because that's what he wants. Can you imagine if they actually tried to lock Donald Trump, put him in custody because he's violating the terms? He'd go crazy. That would be the shot in the arm his campaign needs. I know he's in the lead, guys, for the Republicans, but you know it's going nowhere in the general. He would really, really light the world on fire and distract from the narrative that he's a crook by making himself seem like a victim. The smart thing for the judge to do is not to haul him in. No, it's to do exactly what she said. The greater the urgency will be that we proceed to trial quickly. She's not going to put him in custody. She's going to move the trial date sooner because that's the only way you can handle this. And it is the most efficient way to horrify him. A speedy trial is the last thing Trump wants. His entire strategy for staying out of jail is him delaying everything so he can win the election and pardon himself. That's it. Although pardoning himself would not apply to the state of New York or the state of Georgia, which brings us back to the horrific news. Because look, Donald Trump's guilty as sin in January 6th. Donald Trump's guilty as sin with Stormy Daniels. Donald Trump is guilty as sin with a documents case that he stole. But he's not on tape doing it. Robert Rice decided we all needed a reminder of why he's being indicted today. Listen to this quick clip. Go back in time with me to 2020, when Donald Trump was not trying to make sure that there was no election fraud, but when Donald Trump was trying to guarantee there was election fraud, not asking Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger to count all the votes accurately, but to count them so he would win. Give a quick listen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find... Uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. There you go. And then he threatened him, saying, you're committing a worse crime than anybody else if you don't do this. (sighs) So here we are. What you just heard just yielded 10 indictments. I mean, what you just heard was the icing on top of the corruption cake. Now, 10 indictments... Multiple people may be charged as co-conspirators, so we don't even know who the cast of regulars is here. And it's going to be very interesting seeing who's charged and who's not charged when all this comes through. And so far, there's not much to know. The judge signed and presented the charges to the clerk, but declined a chance to read them aloud. That's interesting. The judge had the option to read it out loud, but chose not to. The grand jury returned the indictments. The judge read them and signed them. The judge asked the press to leave. We don't know what the charges are. And we don't know who else is charged. That is key. I mean, you want to see if Rudy's there? You also want to see if Rudy's not there, if you know what I'm saying. Who has flipped? All we know is Donald Trump had to step in it again today and threaten another potential witness. He had to go online and warn former Georgia Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan against testifying before the grand jury. He called uh, Lieutenant Governor Duncan a nasty disaster and a loser. And here's the thing. Georgia law says a judge is authorized to release a defendant on bail only if they pose no significant risk of intimidating witnesses or otherwise obstructing the administration of justice. Now, he's been indicted in Georgia. Imagine if they go in to arraign him. That's another judge that can say, you know what? You do pose a significant risk of intimidating witnesses. He could be held in custody. Again, I don't think it will happen. I don't think it should happen. I think putting him in custody now helps fascism because it will organize fascists. Don't do it. 
just bring the time up. Please, just in, just let the trial start sooner rather than later. Donald Trump shoots himself in the foot so much he could run for deputy of Mayberry. And that's a Barney Fife joke for all you millennials. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. This is SiriusXM Progress, broadcasting all month from Los Angeles. So earlier this year, we talked a lot about ProPublica's revelation that uh, Texas real estate billionaire Harlan Crow is a big fan of Clarence Thomas. They're really good friends. Vacations, private jet flights, bought his mother's house, put his adopted son through school. You know, stuff that your friends probably do for you. And uh, the judge defended his relationship, said the Crows are among our dearest friends. We've joined them on family trips. That's all. We we eat tea on the porch. Um, Now... Thanks to our next guest, we have learned that during his 30-plus years on the court, Clarence Thomas has enjoyed access to a lifestyle you and I cannot imagine. Very wealthy men have treated him to incredible vacations on yachts, premium suites at sporting events, sent their private jets to fetch him just for being himself. On one occasion, an entire 737. It's a, a, a parade of unattainable luxury that is far more extensive than anything we could have imagined. And these uh, pleasure trips have been underwritten by very powerful men who share the same ideology that drives the rulings Clarence Thomas hands down. I am so pleased to welcome our next guest to the show because I'm a big fan and because this is one of the most important stories to me of the year. Brett Murphy is a great reporter on ProPublica's National Desk. His work uncovering a new junk science in the justice system known as 911 Call Analysis won a George Polk Award, among many others. He's won many National Journalism Awards, but his new piece on ProPublica has to be read to be believed. It is a level of unaccountable corruption that I'm just beginning to wrap my head around. The piece is called Clarence Thomas's 38 Vacations, The Other Billionaires Who Have Treated the Supreme Court Justice to Luxury Travel. What a pleasure to welcome Brett Murphy to SiriusX. Hey, thank you for having me. 
Um, so let's dive right into it. Congratulations. The, the research you have done on this piece is astonishing. And it's a lot more than what we learned earlier this year about Harlan Crow. Uh, back then we thought, okay, one person, 38 vacations, 26 private jet flights, uh, extreme luxury. But now, thanks to your reportage, um, along with Alex Majerski, it turns out that there's been at least four different ultra-wealthy benefactors, uh, none of whom were his friends before he ascended to the Supreme Court. I-, I guess let me start by asking, who are these fabulously generous new benefactors that you've uncovered? Yeah, so there's a trio of them. Uh, the first is Wayne Huizinga. Uh You may know the name. He mm-hmm. is the billionaire behind... Uh, Blockbuster, Waste Management, and AutoNation. Uh, He is said to be the only American to bring three separate companies to the Fortune 500. Uh, The second is Tony Novelli, uh, less of a household name, kind of low profile as far as billionaires go. He's an oil baron from St. Louis, made his fortune uh, storing and trading, transporting petroleum around the world. Uh, the third is David Sokol. Um, you mm. may know him too. He was the former heir apparent to Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway. He left in 2011 and has since gone into international shipping and power utility companies. Mm, okay. And I guess the one thing they have in common, these gentlemen, uh, is they're all just really, really big fans of Clarence Thomas. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's, the other, it's just... yeah, the other ahead, thing please. they have in common too is, uh, uh, they're all really significant contributors to conservative candidates as well as causes. They've donated lots of money over the years uh, to to those sort of uh, right wing candidates. I'm sure that's just a, a, a very innocent coincidence. Um, how deep are the perks we're talking about, Brett? And how do you how does one begin to approximate a dollar value over 30 years of extreme luxury gifts? Yeah, so it, the the big finding, I guess, takeaway from all the reporting was sort of volume and frequency. Those were those are the terms that kept coming to mind. Um, it it by all appearances, you know, thirty plus years now. This is year in, year end, year out. Sometimes multiple times a year. Uh, Justice Thomas was treated to one of these vacations. Um, you know, internationally, stateside, in the Bahamas, on a yacht, often taken on one of these uh, billionaires' private jets to their locations, to their vacation homes. Um, and as as far as you know, trying to put a number on all this, it, it, it's really difficult, um, as yeah. you can imagine. But it, if you know, we talked to a lot of the jet chartering companies. Oh yes, we, you did. You know, we went to them. And we said, "Okay, hey, listen, there's a there's a flight, you know, round trip flight uh, in this year um, from D.C. to Fort Lauderdale on a on a seven thirty seven. If I was going to charter that myself, you know, how much would that cost? And you know, we would approximate the fuel, the the payroll for everyone on board, and you'd you'd start, you know, it adds up really quickly, and you're talking about more than a hundred thousand dollars for just a single trip in a seven thirty seven like that." Uh, so you very quickly get into the millions, given all the travel he's been treated to. And this is Hazinga, who sent his personal 737 to to give Thomas a ride a couple of times to South Florida, right? Yeah, at least twice. Um, we talked to the flight attendant who was on board for those two flights. 
and it was pretty interesting. He said uh, it was just he and Justice Thomas. There was there was literally nobody else in the back of the plane. Uh, mm-hmm. So the two of them were just talking um, because Heisinga had sent it up just to get just to get Thomas and, and and bring him down, and they had plenty of time to catch up, and he remembered it very well. Um, so <laughs> that's a good friend. You know, yeah, we got good insight into the whole thing. Well, Heisinga wasn't even on the plane. It was just yeah. It was just, it was just the flight attendant and uh, Thomas. I read that the five-hour round trip on a 737 would have cost at least $130,000 each time if Clarence Thomas paid to charter a jet himself. So that's that's quite a gift. Yeah, it's um, the, the private jet travel is extremely expensive, and it seems to be one of his most consistent gifts that he's received now from a, from a battery of, of benefactors. And as you write in the piece um, for ProPublica, this is almost certainly an undercount when we're estimating the the value and, of course, the amount of, of perks he's gotten. Now, you, you all interviewed over 100 people for this piece. And again, I cannot praise you enough. I want to read the book already. It's, it's astonishing, this article. You're so thorough. How, I'm so curious. What is the process like in doing a story like this where you're trying to piece together a real trail of people who don't want their whereabouts and doings known. How do you, as a, as a reporter begin this process? Yeah. So it's, it usually starts with a, a tip or a piece of evidence. Maybe it's a picture we got. Uh, maybe it's one person telling us something oblique, like, Hey, it's uh, you know, I saw so-and-so with so-and-so sometime around this year. Here's where I was. With with information that limited, um, you really got to start going for um, sort of the inner circle of of these alleged benefactors to see what's yeah. what. And the way you do that is you just start calling. I mean, we've uh, we, we talked to more than a hundred people. We probably called or or knocked on the doors of three t- three four times as many. And what you do is you just ask, you know, hey, I'm trying to understand this person a little bit better. I'm trying to understand their relationship with Justice Thomas a little bit better. You know, what can you tell me? What do you remember? Do you remember any dates? Who else was there? Was there any documentation around it? So you're constantly just trying to triangulate, substantiate the thing you heard from one person or one piece of evidence and really round out uh, the evidence as much as you can. That's that's all it is. It, it takes a long time because a lot of times people don't want to talk to you or they don't get back to you. So you got to kind of be politely persistent. <laughs> well, now you already know what the response is going to be from some quarters about your reporting that, well, Sonia Sotomayor was, was pushing schools and libraries where she spoke to, to buy her book and, and Stephen Breyer and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, they, they took vacations from rich people. What's the difference between what Justice Thomas did and what these other justices have done? I think the Sotomayor reporting is, is, is really solid um, from the AP. And I mm-hmm. think that it raises really legitimate questions about uh, the recusal standards and the subjectivity of recusal standards, um, mm-hmm. especially with her with her publisher. It's it's a it's kind of the wild west in when these <laughs> justices recuse and and yeah. how they make those decisions. Very opaque. It is not described uh, very well for the public at all. Um, so I'm. I generally think that it's good to be talking about this stuff uh, across Absolutely. the board. Absolutely. Uh, the, the other comparisons that have been drawn, the ones you just mentioned, and I've heard a lot of it since we published, is, uh, <laughs> hey, what about, what about Justice Ginsburg? What about Breyer? Uh, we mentioned them both in the story, and th- 
to me, the analogy doesn't hold up very well because we know about their travel and and those vacations because they disclosed them. That's why they're in the public record because they appeared on their yearly financial disclosures. Justice Thomas did not disclose these trips underwritten by these other people. And we didn't know about them for that reason. The whole point of, of the Ethics in Government Act, of the laws that are in place, are for transparency. There are four people like you and I, uh, people with business before the court, attorneys, to know kind of exactly who they're spending their time with. Uh, yeah. Breyer and Ginsburg disclosed that Justice Thomas didn't. Right. But also, as you point out, Justice Thomas's gifts are not like these one-off occasional vacation here or there. It's a, it's a steady stream of 30 years of luxury vacations that this man has enjoyed. Yeah, that's another, that's another important difference too. I'm glad you brought that up. So like we, you know, we, we took our reporting, our findings to not just ethics experts, like, you know, lawyers at, at universities, people who study this stuff, but also federal judges who had to follow most of these same rules themselves uh, including including at least one judge uh, out in San Francisco, former federal judge Jeremy Fogel. He used to sit on the committee within the judiciary that reviewed judges' disclosures, yearly financial disclosures. Right. And we asked them, you know, have you seen this before? Is this is this common? Have you seen anything like this? And the answer across the board was no. Um, this is unprecedented. This, this degree of largesse, ex- just accepting this many gifts, you know, disclosure question aside, but just accepting this many gifts, this much travel, this many vacations from uh, these patrons was uh, unheard of to the people we we uh, we consulted for the story. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's also fascinating about this particular story is uh, that this is a justice who really, really is fond of talking about how humble his upbringings were. How, yes, he, he benefited from affirmative action, but no one else needs it. you got to work hard like him. And, and he's really been fond of publicly complaining how little they make. Um, they make about 285000 a year. Um, back in 2001, he said the job is not worth doing for what they pay. So it, it's interesting to see that he's put forth this one image of a humble lifestyle to the public. And then, boy, his friends that befriended him after he became a Supreme Court justice really want to compensate any way they can. Yeah, I, I think there's been um, uh, a cultivated public image over the years um, that he's he's worked towards. And to round out that, that quote you just cited, he said it's not worth it for the money, but it is worth it for, I think, the principle is what is what he said. So he's long, he's long complained that the pay is not commiserate with uh, uh, the effort and the public scrutiny you get for the job. Yeah. Um, and he's, he has said repeatedly over the years, you know, he comes from regular stock. He prefers, uh, you know, uh, uh, more pedestrian type of vacations, spending time in Walmart parking lots with the RV. Um, hmm. these things all kind of been part of the, that public image I was talking about. Um, but what, what my colleagues first reported, you know, earlier this spring, and what this latest story kind of shows that it's just it's just not really true. He's just spending he's 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 spending an inordinate amount of time with luxury luxury vacations in multi million dollar uh, vacation homes on private jets in yachts. Uh, so it, it just doesn't hold up very well. I think that that image he's created. Would this still be troubling if the justice had chosen to reveal how many fancy trips he was given? How many? 
incredible perks from having his mother's house bought to having his his adopted son's education paid for? Would it would it be less alarming if he had just reported it all? I can tell you from a journalistic point of view, we wouldn't be reporting it this way. I mean, it's the yeah. the the. the, the the bright line kind of, you know, in the concrete here is is the law. There 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 are laws on the books for this. Is the what I was mentioning earlier, the Ethics and Government Act. It was passed after Watergate. And it says that government officials, including the justices, have to disclose when they're being uh gifted things, uh most gifts uh above a certain dollar amount. The reason for that is, you know, the public deserves to know, according to the yeah. the the framers of this bill, the public deserves to know who who is courting public officials, who's giving them stuff, who they're spending their time with, because it, you know it can matter from a regulatory perspective, from a jurisprudence perspective for for the judiciary. Uh, so when you don't disclose that, it it I think raises questions about why you didn't disclose that, how much time yeah. you spent, with them, uh, what what sort of uh, impacts your your government work could have on their businesses. On their industries, it, those are all legitimate questions. I think uh, that get raised when you don't disclose it, and when when journalists have to be the one to disclose it to the public. I mean, at least thirty-eight destination vacations, including the voyage on the yacht around the Bahamas, the twenty-six private jet flights, uh, eight by a helicopter, a dozen VIP passes to professional sporting events, usually in the skybox, luxury resort resorts in Florida, luxury resorts in Jamaica, and a standing invitation to uh, uh, such an elite golf club. <laughs> overlooking the Atlantic coast that Donald Trump was denied admittance. So, yeah, it, it really seems like rich guys are very fond of him. And I found it interesting uh, a couple of months ago in the fall, we saw David Sokol, who you mentioned earlier, the, the guy who used to work for Berkshire Hathaway. He gave a speech where he was criticizing Biden's student loan forgiveness program and said it was going to be overturned by the court. Mr. Sokol was talking about an ongoing case that Clarence Thomas was deciding on, Right. Yeah, this is one of the first times uh, since we've been reporting on this uh, that we've seen that happen, uh, where we've seen one of the patrons openly discussing uh, an ongoing court case that a friend of theirs is deciding on. Uh, that friend being Justice Thomas, uh, he did not recuse and in, in he uh Sokol was right uh, he he proved to be right a couple months later he had said in that speech uh, the supreme court's going to overturn this going to overturn biden's uh student loan forgiveness plan now to be clear uh this is not some you know revelatory uh, perspective Sokol was, <laughs> yeah like, i said the same a, thing and <laughs> yeah a lot of people a lot of people were saying this this is this is you know very common uh uh, centrist sort of uh, legal commentary at the time, saying that the Biden administration had had overstepped their authority. So that's all he was saying. However, uh, still still interesting and still relevant that a friend of a justice uh, was forecasting the outcome of an ongoing Supreme Court case in the same time frame he was spending a lot of time and paying for vacations of that of that justice. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big question is. There's no clear evidence, I don't think, that Huizinga, Sokol, or Novelli had any actual legal cases before the Supreme Court during the time of their relationship. So is that a mitigating circumstance? Or is it just they they liked him because they knew how he would vote and that's completely above board? I think it's very important um, that we have not yet found any cases. I think it. I think readers need to know that. Um, that's an yeah. important fact. Uh 
that said, these guys have had dozens, some hundreds of companies under their corporate umbrellas. So it can be it can be really hard um, to like weed out exactly where all their business interests are at certain times. Heisinger, mm-hmm. uh, for example, was you know he is one of the forerunners of of mergers and acquisitions. He was constantly rolling up companies under Heisinger Holdings and then spinning them off. Uh, however, you know, like I was saying earlier, they're they're working in industries that can't help but be impacted by Supreme Court decisions. These are heavily regulated yeah, industries. You're right. This is, you know, we're talking about oil, international trade, power utilities, uh, any any sort of labor decision, tax decision, corporate yep. tax decision coming out of the court is Pollution, going to impact yep. their, it's going to impact their business. Like even if you just think about uh, the recent ruling in West Virginia versus the EPA. Um, so all that's relevant as well for readers to know. Um, uh, that said, you know, like we say in the piece, uh, they're all very like-minded, similar ideologies, and they have spent their time with an ideologically aligned justice. And that's something readers, I think, need to know as well. So let me let me close then with the um, insanity inducing part of this conversation, sir, because I know that while you're writing this and you knew while writing this, that there is no real oversight available for Supreme Court justices. They are, for all intents and purposes, unaccountable. What kind of sanction do you think could be warranted here? And and what kind of sanction do you think might be feasible? Um, What I think is warranted, I think, is. You know, they don't pay me for my opinions at ProPublica, but of course, okay, the, sure, fair enough. The, uh, I think what is possible, and it's it's spelled out in the statute. You know, your um, uh, referrals can be made to the DOJ, and it's and it's happened. Uh, I think it was two days ago um, that I'll, I'll forget some of the senators, but I know it was AOC, Lou, uh, and Nadler, and I think three or four others. Um, mm-hmm. Who who wrote a letter to uh, Attorney General General Garland, asking him to investigate? Um, there is another avenue as well through the judiciary's uh, uh, own committees to also refer to the AG for an investigation. And there are civil penalties. I think there's even criminal penalties, but th- those are extremely rare uh, that are spelled out in the statute. So there is there are mechanisms in place here. Um, however, it, because the whole situation is so unprecedented, uh, actual enforcement, as you said earlier, is very squishy and yep. it's, uh, it seems like the levers have not been pulled very often and, uh, people seem hesitant and, uh, you know, just the same with Congress people, I think are unsure, uh, you know, just how much one branch of government can can regulate or oversee yeah. another brand. That's what we're seeing. Here, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Brett Murphy is the Polk Award winning journalist who is a reporter on ProPublica's national desk. His amazing new piece is Clarence Thomas's 38 Vacations, the other billionaires who have treated the Supreme Court justice to luxury travel. This is a blockbuster piece of reporting, and I'm sure you're exhausted from all the TV you did last week. Thank you so much for joining us, Brett. What a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. We'll be right back with your calls. This is SiriusXM. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping 
dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Oh, we work with good producers. This is Sirius XM Progress. It's the 14th of August, by the way. Write that date down. Happy birthday to uh, Social Security. Signed by President Franklin Roosevelt on this date in 1935. Happy 78th birthday to Steve Martin. It's the birthday of Vim Vendors, who directed my favorite movie of all time. It's the birthday of Oscar winner and friend of the show, Martha Gay Harden. Happy birthday to Magic Johnson. Uh, Cindy from the Brady Bunch is 62 today. Yes, she is. Mila Kunis, Halle Berry, uh, I hope you both have a great birthday. I hope you'll stop calling me. Doc Holliday, born in the state in 1851. And finally, today is the 82nd birthday of a beautiful friend of this show who we love very much and who is not here tonight. And that's David Crosby, born in this state in 1941. And God damn it, I am telling you, if David were here, he would be so happy and smiling and laughing and saying deeply inappropriate and yet curiously moral things about Donald Trump's fate. Uh, David's not with us, but we do have the great Dr. Tracy Pearson with us. Tracy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here on another indictment uh, evening. Happy Indictment Monday. We have a lot of listeners on hold. And um, just so you know out there, the indictments are coming down and it is steep. There are 30 unindicted co-conspirators 161 acts total, 161 acts. That's more acts than Trump experienced that night in the Moscow Hilton. Um, it, this is a night of history, Tracy. Any any thoughts uh, in the last few minutes? Have you, as, I, I know during the commercial breaks, you're like me scanning through the indictment for anything. Yeah, I've been reading through it. And I you asked me earlier about what I thought of, of some of the charges. And I think that there's a, a few that are um, interesting that have to do with uh, solicitation of high-ranking United States Department of Justice officials, as well as a solicitation of the Vice President of the United States. And the way that this works is that they are using these acts as uh, towards a, a conspiracy uh, as under the RICO charge. So the RICO charge is the apex yeah. of the, the pyramid, and everything else falls underneath it in, in very neat order. She did a very nice job in, in drafting this. Amazing. Do you want to talk to some of our listeners while we wait for Fonnie Willis to uh, take the podium? Shall we talk to some of our bring April Army of the Night? The, bring on the giddy riffraff. Bring them on. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say please make your comment or your jokes or your threats as tight as possible. Uh, I apologize in advance if D.A. Willis begins her speech and we have to cut away from your call. Zach in Tennessee, welcome. You're on SiriusXM with Dr. Tracy Pearson. Hey, Zach. Hey, John. Hey, hey, Dr. Hey. Pearson. Uh I did everything right, and they indicted me again. <laughs> <laughs> everything I, right, and they indicted me. The, the Braves beat the Yankees. The, the, my Braves beat the New York Yankees tonight, and my Fulton County, my Atlanta Fulton County DA, beat the New York Don the Con. Um, so I hate to tell you, but it's Florida's Don the Con, sir. 
Do- Donald oh, Trump dumped right. he he dumped uh, New York State like it was a chief of staff or a wife. He's Florida's Don McConnell. I'll have you know. <laughs> he uh, he belongs to the uh, he belongs to all of us, I guess. Uh, Doctor yeah, Pierce, uh, I want to ask you a quick one. Um, sure, go ahead. John John has said he doesn't care if uh, Trump ends up in jail. But he wants to, him to suffer humiliation. But let me ask you this. It's not possible for okay. him to not lose on any. Zach, I got it. I'm so sorry, Zach. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to put you on hold and ask you to hold that thought. Uh, the uh, Fonnie Willis has uh, entered the room. Here we go live. Prosecutors and investigators who have worked diligently on the investigation of criminal attempts to interfere in the administration of Georgia's 2020 presidential election. Today, based on information developed by that investigation, a Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment, charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. The indictment includes 41 felony counts and is 97 pages long. Please remember that everyone charged in this bill of indictment is presumed innocent. Specifically, the indictment brings felony charges against Donald John Trump, Rudolph William Lewis Giuliani, John Charles Eastman, Mark Randall Meadows, John Cheeseborough, Jeffrey Clark, Jenna Lynn Ellis, Ray Stallings Smith III, Robert David Cheeley, Michael A. Roman, David James Schaefer, Sean Micah Tresher Steele, Stephen Cliffgard Lee, Harrison William Prescott Floyd, Travion C. Cootie, Sydney Catherine Powell, Kathleen Austin Latham, Scott Graham Hall, and Misty Hampton, also known as Emily Misty Hayes. Every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act through participation in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia, and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. Specifically, the participants in association took various actions in Georgia and elsewhere to block the counting of the votes of the presidential electors who were certified as the winners of Georgia's 2020 general election. As you examine the indictment, you will see acts that are identified as overt acts 
and those mm. that are identified as predicate acts, sometimes called acts of racketeering activity. Overt acts are not necessarily crimes under Georgia law in isolation, but are alleged to be acts taken in furtherance of the conspiracy. Many occurred in Georgia, and some occurred in other jurisdictions and are included because the grand jury believes they were part of the illegal effort to overturn the results of Georgia's 2020 presidential election. The acts identified as predicate acts or acts of racketeering activity are crimes that are alleged to have been committed in furtherance of the criminal enterprise. Acts of racketeering activity are also charged as separate counts in the indictment against those who are alleged to have committed them. All elections in our nation are administered by these states, which are given the responsibility of ensuring a fair process and an accurate counting of the votes. That includes elections for presidential electors, Congress, state officials, and local offices. The state's role in this process is essential to the functioning of our democracy. Georgia, like every state, has laws that allow those who believe that results of an election are wrong, whether because of intentional wrongdoing or unintentional error, to challenge those results in our state courts. The indictment alleges that rather than abide, abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Subsequent to the indictment, as is the normal process in Georgia law, the, the grand jury issued arrest warrants for those who are charged. I am giving the defendants the opportunity to voluntarily surrender no later than noon on Friday, the 25th day of August, 2023. I remind everyone here that an indictment is only a series of allegations based on a grand jury's determination of probable cause to support the charges. It is now the duty of my office to prove these charges in the indictment beyond a reasonable doubt at trial. I would like to take a moment to thank, thank the Superior Court Clerk, Shay Alexander, and her staff for staying late and making sure that this indictment was processed. I would also like to thank the men and women of Sheriff Labatt's office for keeping the courthouse open, but most importantly for keeping us safe over the weeks and months that have led up to this indictment and for what I know they will continue to do to keep us safe. We also want to thank the Atlanta Police Department and other law enforcement partners who have worked with the sheriff to keep us safe. I will now take a very limited number of questions prior uh, to going to sleep. <laughs> I'll go first. Uh, Madam District Attorney. If you don't mind, Savannah Levins with Love and the Life. Quick question. Can you clarify in Georgia uh, the mandatory minimum when it comes to RICO charges, whether it's serviceable by probation or how that might play out? The, the RICO charges has time that you have to serve, so it is not a probated sentence. 
Madam District Attorney, what's the timetable for the trial? What is the timetable for the trial? As you know, in this jurisdiction, trials are set by the judges. Um, and so it will be the judge that sets the date of the trial. This office will be su submitting a proposed scheduling order within this week. However, that will totally be at the discretion of the judge. And one of you, you're the fourth person, the fourth jurisdiction out of the I don't have any desire to be first or last. I want to try him and be respectful for our sovereign states. Um, we do want to move this case along, and so we will be asking for a proposed order that occurs a trial date within the next six months. Okay, uh, there you have it. Fonnie Willis, the daughter of a Black Panther, announcing the indictments, and all of those who charged will have until Friday, the 25th of August at 12 noon to turn themselves in. That's my day after my parents' anniversary. I'm choosing to believe it's a gift for them. Uh, Tracy, if you can stay with us, we got to take a quick break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. My God, what did we just witness? This is an amazing night. There's the three things Donald Trump most hates in a woman. She's black, she's educated, and she's not afraid of him. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Dang, that's the sound of the men working on the chain. Brothers and sisters, I gave my boss, Chris, a whole list of songs to play tonight by David Crosby and people born in the state, and instead he's playing prison songs, and I'm here for it. This is SiriusXM Progress. Happy Indictment Monday to you. We are back with our good friend, Dr. Tracy Pearson. It's great to have a fantastic legal analyst willing to talk to you at a time like this. And if you're just joining us, former host of Celebrity Apprentice Donald Trump and 18 others have been indicted by an Atlanta grand jury in a sweeping case focused on their concerted efforts to reverse the results of the 2020 election in Georgia. And Dr. Tracy, something tells me Fonnie Willis is going to want a mugshot on this one. Fulton County Sheriff has already made public statements prior to today saying that every defendant is treated the same way. And that means that he will, in fact, have a mugshot and he will be processed in due course the same way as everybody who's arrested. 
Okay, so here's let me ask you a couple of dumb questions, and I want to get to our calls, too. Does this mean Mark Meadows didn't flip? We've all been spending the last two years convinced his former chief of staff had flipped, and now we see he's indicted as well. He's indicted. It, it could mean that they are, they are still working out something or something fell through at the last minute. It also could be that he's choosing to, to make a federal deal over a state deal and, and not making this a priority. As I oh. said earlier, there, there, there are so many cases. And, and as a lawyer, you're trying to figure out what is the worst of the worst and try to deal with that as a, and let the other chips fall. Um, or deal with them later, um, as opposed to to trying to fight everything. So then, let me ask the same question. I mean, we, when we see that that Lindsey Graham has not been indicted, can we derive anything from that? I mean, I want to believe that Lindsey's flipped and, and that he's he, he's ratting out on Trump, but I'm not sure. It's possible that he's cooperating. It's also possible that a superseding indictment may follow this one uh, and that that she wanted to address it. She gave a time frame to everyone in the country about how how quickly she was going to deal with this. And then she may go back and add people to it because there are unindicted co-conspirators. Amazing. Let me let me try to get a, a caller or two in here while we still have a minute. Ralph in Connecticut, thank you for your patience on hold. You're on Sirius XM on Indictment Monday with Dr. Tracy Pearson. Hi, Ralph. Oh, good. Hi, hi. Hey, um, I wonder what you think of, of this uh, charges, maybe, for John, Donald Trump. You know, there's such a thing as, like, failing to render aid in the law, I believe. And, mm-hmm. you know, him sitting there watching the whole thing go down on TV, he failed to render aid, didn't he? Um, he, he didn't have an obligation to technically uh, to to come to someone's aid. Fa- failing to render aid is when uh, oftentimes you have an obligation to or when you start doing something and then you f- you stop and you don't complete it. So it's oh. you know, you can be a good Samaritan and you can screw up or if you start giving someone assistance, but then you say, hey, no, you know what? This is inconvenient to me and you stop. Then you can be charged for for your conduct. Oh, hey, real quick, isn't the whole thing going on with Clarence Thomas, isn't that um, sort of de facto, uh, what do they call that, retainership? How so? Billionaires? Oh. I mean. No, I mean, we don't have I, I, I was, was going to say that. just plain old bribery myself, but go ahead, Tracy. Yeah, yeah, we don't have any facts right, that necessarily right. point to that. What we have facts that point to is that they, they, have, they haven't been able to make any connections between the individual cases and 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 the gifts that he's been receiving i do think that that congress is the appropriate place to deal with this where uh, they engage in an impeachment proceeding um i do think that the department of justice could appoint a a special counsel if they believed that that there was criminal behavior we haven't risen to that level yet it's just sketchy mm. stuff that you don't see judges doing right well, real, and just real quick on incarcerating president why don't we just make a spandau in the united states and you know if you're the president and you're bad well you know that's where you're going to go i mean it'd be a great precedent to set uh i just don't think we're ever going to put a president in jail i just i don't see didn't it they, but... didn't, didn't they make that that whole prison in germany just for one guy basically yeah but see germany has this crazy thing they feel bad about stuff in their past right more people died in slavery than the holocaust but the germans banned the swastika and our people just love waving their treason flag of the confederacy so again they don't don't, you have to feel you have to feel bad about your country's atrocities first before you can do something about it i'm sorry dr tracy 
No, 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 no. They don't need to build one. We have in every uh, facility in the country something called solitary confinement. And so we could easily place him in solitary confinement and put one single lone Secret Service agent if we had to. If, if the Secret am I allowed Service to protection say, I'm, am I allowed withdrawn. to say that? Am I allowed to say that solitary confinement is torture and should be banned? Am I allowed to say that? Even for you're Trump? allowed to say that, but that is in fact what we have in this country. Yes, <laughs> I know. It's just it's torture and it should be banned, even for Trump. Uh, yes. Ralph, thank you so much for the call. Um, Stephen in Kentucky, I don't know if this is going to work for you, but I can give you thirty seconds to make your point. The floor is yours. Well, I'm not sure why you're all so happy, because the fact is he hasn't been convicted yet. I mean, until he's convicted, I'm not going to sit there and throw a party until he's convicted. Oh, I think, uh, yeah, uh, listen, I've, so I've said a for a long ago, time, I'm no president's going to be indicted that they're not. Don't go take this so joy away from us, Stephen. The reason <laughs> why we're happy is because us. our systems have held. These systems have held and uh-huh. they are working against the most perceivably powerful person in the world during a four year period in his post presidency. And so those systems have withstood his attempts to corrupt them. Mm-hmm. And yet he's still allowed to run for president now. So how good is the system then? I mean, I'm, I'm anybody can run for anything and anybody can sue for here, anything. Well, I mean, anybody I, I, can I, I, be allowed to run at all. If we have a law on the books that states in the Constitution that if you engage in subversion, you're not he's you're right from running. And so, to Stephen's point, the 14th Amendment, the four. I mean, it's fair to say we had this with the Federalist Society professors last week. Thank you, Stephen. You're brilliant. The 14th Amendment uh, guarantees that he is not eligible to run for president. The question is, no one's going to enforce that. No one's going to try to enforce that. This is going to be Donald Trump. Death by a thousand cuts. Metaphorically, he should not be killed by at all. But it, his his political career will be taken down by a thousand cuts from four different jurisdictions. He's going to to find his way out of this process of running for president. I, I just this is not something he can withstand. Frankly, I think he's going to be running out of the country. I mean, I'm not mm. saying that in, in, in specific sort of prediction. I'm just saying that if I'm staring this down, this is not something that I can handle if I've got his brain. I am just so waiting for the scene where Elon Musk gives Donald Trump tips on how to weasel out of a challenge he accepted and run away and hide. (laughs) Um, Dr. Tracy, I got to say one thing. Uh, God bless Fonnie Willis because she has been attacked relentlessly. There have been so many death threats made by the supporters of this racist criminal con man. And she has not buckled. She has stayed strong. And tonight... She spoke eloquently. The indictment speaks for itself and the people hating her and threatening her will never read it. But I just what a rock to stand tall during all of this. And the death threats have only just begun, I fear. They have special uh, qualities to be a prosecutor and, and that all you name them all. Dr. Tracy, I hope you'll still join us in person in the L.A. studios this Thursday. Thank you so much for helping us adapt to uh, this changing landscape tonight. I will see you Thursday. All right. Fantastic. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. I know we didn't get to all your calls. It was a very abnormal night tonight, and I hope that uh, you'll join us tomorrow on Sirius XM and start in the morning because we'll know more information by then. This channel is going to be hopping all day tomorrow. This is an incredible day in our history, and we will be there with you all through all these trials, all through the campaign, and all through the next administration, whoever that may be. Thank you for listening to Progress. It's an amazing time to be alive and accountable. We'll see you tomorrow.